Calling out to the Itascacita community, it's time for your Itascacita Library advanced copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Itascacita community. Welcome to the Itascacita Branch Library podcast advanced copy. It is April 7th, 2023. This month marks National Donate Life Month, so be sure to check out our resources and events related to this important topic. In our segment, What's My Read?, we'll visit with staff on what they are reading now. And don't forget to mark your calendars for our exciting upcoming programs, including Grow with Google Small Business Boot Camp. This series of online courses helps you whether you are a brick-and-mortar business, home-based, or e-commerce in order to be found online for people to do business with you. Now, this is a series of online courses with Grow With Google. They are Wednesday mornings at 10. So there was one this past Wednesday, April 5th, and that was Get Your Business on Google. And then the upcoming Reach Customers Online on April 12th, Intro to Google Analytics on April 19th, and Learn the Basics of Google Ads on April 26th. Each of these have their own Zoom link, so we do ask that you register online. There are QR codes throughout the library that you can scan with your phone, or you can go to http colon slash slash tiny.cc slash ATA bootcamp. That is Grow with Google Small Business Bootcamp, Wednesday mornings at 10 on April 5th, April 12th, April 19th, and April 26th. April is National Donate Life Month, highlighting and educating on the importance of organ donation. Longtime listeners recall Marion and Kim sharing the importance of heart health in previous episodes. They visit with us again to talk about Donate Life Month. Hello, this is Miss Kimberly, and we have a special guest. We interviewed him uh, once before last year for Heart Health Month, and we brought him back because uh, he's had some recent developments in his health life. So I want to introduce you to my husband, Marion. Hello. So why don't you tell us what the big update is since we last spoke to you on this podcast? Well, uh, for New Year's, I got a new heart or heart transplant for people if I don't want to say new heart and they think uh, like new. So yes, heart transplant. Got a transplanted heart. I got a used organ. Yes. So you're part of the used organ club now. Yes. Well, no. Yeah. Tell us about how when when you got the call. Well, after waiting almost six years, you waited five years, years ten, ten months, months, and six days to get this while you were on the LVAD left ventricular assist device. So, I was ran on batteries for almost six years. New Year's Eve, Eve, the thirtieth. As most people don't understand that. The call can come at any time, any, any moment, without just out of the blue. You always expect it. Well, you expect that it's going to be unexpected. Uh, we always expected it to be, you know, at midnight, middle of the night. We have to wake up and try to get going. But I had went to cardiac rehab of all things uh, that day, and uh, I was coming home to get some stuff ready for New Year's. Stopped at Walmart when 
I received a call from a number I'd never seen before. Typically, we thought it would come from a 704 number, which is all the medical center. If you get a call from Memorial Hermann, it's a 704 number. So we always expected, hey, it'll come from a 704 number or a coordinator. Did not come that way. Came from a random person's cell phone. Well, somebody that works at the hospital. I didn't answer the phone because I was parking the car, so they called my wife. Which is me. And I was here at work, and I got the call. And it was funny because earlier in the day, I had said something to somebody about there are more heart transplants between Thanksgiving and New Year's than any other time of the year because a lot of people get head injuries and stuff like that. I, we don't know what happened to the donor yet. We hope we will learn someday, but it won't be for a while. But I got the call here and I saw the number and I normally don't answer any number I don't recognize. And since it wasn't a 704 number, I, I initially wasn't going to answer it, but then I thought, I better answer this one. I just got a vibe. And so I answered it and they asked for him. And I said, I'm sorry, he's not here with me. What can I do for you? And she said, it's very, very urgent that we speak to him immediately. And I said, okay, I will try to get him on the phone. And I was almost positive that's what the call was. I I knew in my gut that's what the call was. And so I immediately started trying to blow up Marion's phone to get him to answer the phone. So I was texting him, Facebooking him, calling him. And in that, in that in between of them calling me, he had called them back and they said that they had accepted a heart on his behalf and they wanted him to get to the medical center immediately because the surgery was scheduled for eight o'clock and it was 2.30. Now we know lots of transplant people. We don't know anybody who got the heart on the first try because there's dry runs you could say they pull the organ out and it's damaged in some capacity or something was wrong with the, the heart or whatever organ we're talking about. And so we fully expected that whenever our turn came that it wasn't gonna happen the first time. And not only was it, yes, it's gonna happen tonight, it's happening in six hours, roughly. And what a mad dash happened after that. So I mean, and being that it was New Year's Eve Eve and that I actually had it on New Year's Eve, as you can imagine, that was a very um, crazy time. Not expecting. We had guests at the house. Yeah. And to my wife's point, she also said, I had said the exact same thing at rehab to my nurses because they had asked me, so do you have any idea about your heart when you're going to get it? And I was like, you know, the funny part is it's New Year's. This is the biggest time of the year to get. I said, they could call me while we're standing here talking. And funnily enough, I got that call. What, 45 minutes 45 later? minutes later, they called. And when I called back to talk to my nurse, I was like, we tried to call her. I was like, I'm not going to make it to rehab. She's like, why? I was like, I got my heart. She's like, what? It's like, we just talked about that. I was like, yeah, literally. So um, it was a very mad dash. I mean, I like she said, I, I got, saw the call. They left a message. I parked the car. I don't normally answer my my voicemails immediately because I hate voicemails because they take too long to listen to. But I was like, okay, let me just... As soon as I heard the, this is Memorial Herman, I need to speak with Marion Darnell, I was like, click. I didn't even finish the message. I just called that number straight back. And as I'm talking to them, I'm about to hyperventilate in my truck. 
Kim is blowing my phone up and I'm trying to, uh, I, I want to message her to that. I, I, I'm on the phone with him, but uh, just, I got it. I got it. I got it. So uh, I was like, okay, I'm leaving right now. I got in my car. I'm not really sure how fast I was driving uh, because um, as my wife likes to put it, I have two speeds on and off. And at this point, I'm running on adrenaline. I've been told something I've been waiting for for a very long time has finally occurred. My brain wasn't functioning very well. And I was like, who do I call? Who do I call? I called Kim back immediately. Of course, Kim was like, it's the call. And then she's like, yeah, it's the call. Can I just add in that I said I was here at work and I was about to work on a display. So I had this giant roll of paper in my hand, scissors, pencil and stuff. And I'm holding this. I get the call. It's on my headset. I felt the blood drain out of my face all the way down to my feet. And then the next thing I remember, I was running back to my desk, threw everything into my desk, screaming at everybody. I got the call. I got the call. I ran into Beth's office, who's editing this. And I'm like, we got the call. She says, go. And I ran out the back door, literally ran out that back door, floored it out of the parking lot. I needed to get home to get what we needed for the surgery because I always carry this bug out bag, but I had taken it out recently because uh, I was like, ah, the call, it's not going to come. It's not going to come anytime soon. And <laughs> so I ended up having to race home to get the bags and then meet him down at the hospital. So let, let's skip ahead. Let's get to the hospital. So you went in, you got your COVID swab, which of course was negative. Then they called us and said, can you walk over to the part of the hospital we needed to be at? So we did. So like, do you know where this is? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we know where that yeah, is. Very much so. Uh, so we sprinted across the hospital. We go upstairs. They start the prep work. What's going through your mind? Pandemonium. Is this really happening? Is this going to happen? Because as you said earlier, we have a lot of friends that have went through the multiple dry runs transplanting they'd be in the surgery room already ready for and prepped for surgery and then the surgery get called off so they've been sedated and then they wake up and told it fell through so mentally I was trying to prepare myself for the fact that okay this may or may not happen because I'm thinking all right this is New Year's Eve Eve I'm going to be going in there on New Year's you know this is again one of those, oh, it's a Hallmark moment. Hey, he got his a new year, new heart type thing. So I was like, uh, let me just, I didn't want to um, get myself too hyped. And then they left me there after they had already ran all the, the blood work and everything else. So I, I'm i just sitting in a room waiting. With me in the corner. With, with her in the corner. But still, it was... High anxiety time. Uh, yeah, that that is a mild way to put it. And of course, it can't give you anything for anxiety right before you're about to go into surgery. So I just had to sit there and uh, contemplate. Not only is this going to happen, but will I survive? Because that's, I guess, the the other point that yeah you got to take into consideration. I've lit. I lived a very normal life for an elevator for somebody with that my heart condition waiting on a transplant, but. This was a all or none. Once they took my old heart out, if my new heart didn't start. Game over. Game over. That also weighed on me as I sat there looking at my wife sitting in the corner across from me is, okay, she knows the risk. She's been 
preparing just like me for a long time. I, I believed that God was going to provide and I was going to be okay, but there's still that part of my mind that was, will this be the last time I see her on this side of heaven? So, I think one of the coolest things about that particular night, I mean, the whole thing was neat, but there's so many doctors that round on that floor and it just so happened that the rounding doctor that night was our doctor, the main one that's been taking care of Marianne for all this time. It was Dr. Nathan, and he actually came in, came to talk to us, comfort us, talk to us about the heart and how he felt about it, and, you know, do the last bit of the, the super paperwork. scary paperwork, as I like to call it, uh, to the warnings, the risks, assessments, and stuff. So he was the last doctor to come in and talk to us. And then you got rolled away to go to surgery. And in many ways it is. It was comforting to have him confirm because we do have faith in Dr. Nathan and that he had always had my best interest at heart, especially at heart. At heart. But I'm bumped over the years of having to work with us directly. So it helped. Yes. It definitely helped. Also, it was, it was I couldn't believe that my pastor managed to get there Basically, 10 minutes before it was time to go. He ran in, says, I'm clergy. They let him in. Then Then it happens. Then it happens. Waking up from that, you know, of course, waking up, I wasn't sure if I was just coming out of sedation or if I actually had the heart. But yeah, it was pretty clear once I started feeling it. So I can speak to that because Marion was quite drugged. (laughs) Um, The surgery did go all night. I did not know officially if the heart had been approved because they have to take it out of the donor and transport it. And then they're looking at it and stuff. So they they were supposed to come and tell me what was up with it before they actually did it. But I, I don't know for sure, but we're pretty sure that we saw the heart come in. We saw somebody carrying a cooler into the uh, OR area from the waiting room. So we got to see that. We think, maybe. <laughs> About 5.30 in the morning, Dr. Jujumian came by and I said, what's going on? I haven't had any updates. And he said, oh yeah, he got it. He got the heart. He's doing well and you'll be able to see him soon. So I got to come in and see Marion very briefly because when you have a transplant, they have to suppress your immune system. And it's especially suppressed at that time. Which was a bummer because I really wanted to stay with him because the whole time he was sick after the heart attack and the LVAD, I was with him for three weeks straight. I only slept away one night from him and that was the worst night ever. It was disheartening, but I understood why. And I guess it worked out in our favor because the next day I tested positive for COVID. (laughs) Oddly enough, Nobody else in my circle got it. Uh, We had guests at the house. His mother lives with us. Nobody else that I know got COVID. Uh, And they were all front and center right in front of me. So I guess that worked out that I wasn't around him very much. He did come out of recovery. They had to do another surgery, the washout surgery. He was on ketamine, so he was really, really fun. His nurse was talking to me about he was fighting her quite a bit because he wanted to get the tube out, understandably. He got the tube out, and it was just a fast-tracked recovery, just like he did with LVAD. So uh, he was out in nine days. We've had a few bumps in the road, I would say, since then. 
He's had, how many cats are we at? Six or seven at this point? Seven. Seven cath labs. So explain what a cath procedure is. Very briefly, they take a wire, got a little needle on the end of it that goes all the way up into my heart through the veins in my leg. And then they snip a piece of the actual heart itself, uh, which then they go and look at for signs of rejection. The thing about without transplanted organ, you got to think of it just like this heart now is like a virus to my body or a bug or some foreign object that it does not recognize as its own. So it's constantly trying to reject it. I take medications for that. My job is to take them normally, regularly, never miss a dose and stay within my range. But however, my body may not always agree with that and I have had two bouts of mild acute rejection which they've treated. I understand and I've been told that this is not a uncommon thing during the first year uh, and that I shouldn't um, be too concerned about it. That being said, uh, I think a lot of people ask me, is transplant better than LVAD? Yes and no. LVAD I never had a lot of worries as far as medication side effects, rejection, all that kind of stuff. Now like there are good things where I can I can shower easily, I can go to the ocean, I can go swimming. So there's going to be good things. The negative thing that I tell people even though it's good that I finally got the heart is medication is a bear. It causes a lot of different issues that compound on issues I already had. So most of your transplant drugs that you are on for the rest of your life can cause severe issues to your kidney, headaches, and if you're prone to migraines, that's not good. But you gotta trade one for the other. I'm told that in time it can get better. So other anti-rejection drugs can mess with your stomach. There's a lot of side effects to the drugs that you have to take to stay alive. Is it worth it? Yes. LVAD was not a permanent solution, neither is a heart transplant, uh, because I am burning through it because it is not mine. Yeah, that is true. So the average transplant roughly lasts 15 years-ish. Roughly. So we might have to go through this again, but at least we have done it, and we know what's on the other side. So we've been through that. The reason why we decided to put this out this particular month, because April is Donate Life Month. So if you're not a registered organ donor, it's very simple to do it. It doesn't cost anything whatsoever. It doesn't cost anything for your family. If you choose to do this and to give life to somebody who needs and it's not just hearts. They can take everything and use anything, skin, tissues, your corneas to help people see better, all kinds of things that can save a life. And lots of people are waiting on the transplant list. And a lot of people die on the transplant list. They just don't make it long enough, particularly people who have Marion's blood type. We waited so long because Marion's blood type is the universal blood type. So anybody can take that organ, but only uh, an O can take an O. And so that made us wait a significant amount of time. And in Marion's case, he was very fortunate that he was doing so well. We know a lot of people who don't do as well and have to wait a long time. So we were really, really lucky 
with Marion's case. But on the other side of the coin, you could say, because Marion has an organ that's most like his original one, it's going to last longer, potentially. So that's that's a positive. Uh, it'll work better with his body. If you want to become an organ donor, you can do that. DonateLifeTexas.org. You can also put it on your driver's license. And most, most, most importantly, regardless of your decision, however you make it, DonateLifeTexas.org or putting it on your driver's license, you need to let your family and your friends know that that is your choice. Because ultimately, if something were to happen to you and you could be a candidate to be a donor, they are the ones who make that ultimate choice. So you need to share it with your family and friends if that is something that you want to do, if something were to happen to you. And I hope it never does, but if something does happen to you and you want to have the opportunity to give life to somebody else, that's the steps you gotta take. I mean, we can't talk about this organ donation thing and not honor whoever your, your donor was. We won't know who he was for some time. I am currently in the process of writing a letter to his family, and we hope that they will choose to reach out to us and um, want to get to know us. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. You can't not have that feeling because, I mean, somebody had to give up their life. And, and their family had to make that decision to had, right, because acknowledge that that their life was over, but maybe they somebody, can help somebody else. And think about it, like she said earlier, uh, even if that donor had checked the box that said, I want to be a donor, had signed all the papers saying, I want to be a donor, the family can still reject it. Yes. So that's why it's so very you, important. You have to let your family know. Even currently me, I'm a donor. I'm a donor. We're both donors. Because even though I'm a transplant patient, if my liver or kidney or whatever's left of me, when I go, is still good enough for somebody else, I feel I've had the chance at life. And if it can give it to somebody else, just pass it forward. Please make sure they, they know that. To me, the hardest thing I think about is, even though, God forbid, something were to happen to Kim or my mom or any of my family that I know are donors, to say, okay, but I know... In the long run, especially now, my family is definitely more <laughs> willing to uh, make that sacrifice because they've seen it for me. I do feel a lot of gratitude for this. Second, well, I guess really for you, in your case, it's a third chance because the LVAD was your second chance and now this is your third chance. And so. we have a lot of bad days, a lot of days that you don't feel well, but it's like I like to say, Mourn the bad days and celebrate the good ones. Yes. So so far, it's been a good day, right? So far. So let's celebrate that. Thank you for coming in and doing another interview on this. And hopefully we won't have to interview you about anything else anytime soon because you're just going to have a normal, boring life. Yes. So I'm Miss Kimberly with Marion, my husband, and I hope you all have a great day. April 14th on National Donate Life Blue and Green Day, the public is encouraged to wear blue and green and to engage in sharing the Donate Life message, promoting the importance of registering as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Learn how you can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor at DonateLife.net. Now it's time for What's My Read. Hi again, everyone. Bree here. 
This month, I continued my A Court of Thorns and Roses series journey, or more accurately, obsession. (laughs) I absolutely blazed through not one or two, but the last three books of the series. So you could say that I'm easily impressed, quick to swoon, and you would be correct. At most, Miss Sarah J. Mass would take over your entire life like she did mine. But I think even the most critical reader would, at the very least, have a nice time reading this series. All right, let's get into it. A Court of Wings and Ruin. I read this book over the first few days of the month. The end of A Court of Mist and Fury left me dumbfounded, without words. Absolute tragedy occurred, leaving me teary-eyed and positively outraged. A Court of Wings and Ruin picked up right where the previous book left off, giving me the answers I wanted and shortly after satisfying the revenge I so desperately needed. Feyre is once again in the Spring Court, only this time she is out for blood and boy does she get it. After the Wicked Queen's rule, all High Fae of Prithian are back to full power and naturally someone else wants to rule. The wall separating Prithian and the mortal lands is facing a threat of compromise as the fairy realm inches closer and closer to all-out war. I call this installment the War Book. It's all about planning, prep, and execution of war. This book showcases the inner circle's cunning and intelligence and extent of everyone's power. Like Amran is a complete beast. There are so many players in this book, and I was really impressed at how Mass wrote such well-rounded characters. I genuinely giggled at parts, and I was also filled with rage at parts, especially at Tamlin, and felt many, many other emotions throughout my time with this story. By the end, oh my gosh, I was a mess. I was completely, fully sobbing. I give this book a 4.75 out of 5. A Court of Frost and Starlight. Libby really pulled through for me by letting me know that my hold for this book was ready a day before I finished A Court of Wings and Ruin. People on the internet hated this book, but I'm happy that I read it because I really liked it. This book was significantly shorter than the others by about a third, so it was a cheeky little weekend read. I call this book the fan fiction installment because we get to enjoy the character's joy and triumphs and friendship and love and it's really, really sweet, especially when you are as invested in each character as I was. I will give this book a 4 out of 5. A Court of Silver Flames I honestly didn't know where Mass was going to take it from here. It seems like a natural ending to the series, so I was kind of apprehensive about reading the final book. It seems like a trend with me in this series, but I was wrong. This book rivals A Court of Mist and Fury for my favorite of the series. It focuses on Nesta, who is Feyre's sister, and I lovingly call this book the mental health installment. Nesta seems to be struggling with PTSD that's running concurrently with profound depression, and as someone who's faced trauma myself, the dialogue in her head is quite relatable, and it made me feel really connected to her character. This story is about her overcoming her pain and finding her way back to herself, or rather, finding her way to herself for the first time. 
Also, if you thought Pharaoh was powerful, Nesta is a whole other animal. People online really hated Nesta's character, but I thought she was incredible and probably my favorite character of the whole series. I think this is because the depth of her character exhibited more humanity than other characters. Like, she committed good acts, and that's great, but she also did bad things, sometimes to serve no one but herself, like we all do from time to time, and this was refreshing to me. This book follows the friends with benefits but can't stay friends trope. Vengeance is a theme that is interwoven into multiple character storylines, and I am always a fan of that. And there are chapters that absolutely terrified me that had me thinking to myself, I need not read this before bed. Also, and maybe most importantly, is Cassian. Just Cassian. He is everything. I do not think that I'm being generous when I give this book a 6 out of 5. Criticisms for the A Court of Thorns and Roses series. I would like to point out the lack of diversity in this series. I'm not necessarily talking about race. It does not describe race or ethnicity other than fate and human. And each character is described as pale or golden or rich brown, which suggests ethnic diversity. But every character was cis, het, and every character was able-bodied. And every character is so beautiful. She's always, always mentioning everyone's devastating beauty. Then three books in, at least two LGBTQ plus folk are represented, and I was happy to read that, though I did kind of feel like they may have only come from fans' criticisms, as it was kind of random. I think this series could be triggering for readers sensitive to abuse as it occurs on more than one occasion and at the hands of more than one character. This series was published as YA before moving into adult fiction, which I think was the absolute right move. I don't think this series is appropriate for anyone under 18. In conclusion, overall, this was such a deeply entertaining series for me. I'm not the type to reread books, but just like I have a comfort TV show that I rewatch frequently, I know that I will read this series over again. Also, side note, if you've never matched music to the books that you're reading, you should try it. It deeply enhances the whole reading experience, and it bridged the gap in between opportunities to read for me. Paramore's This Is Why album dropped around the time I began reading the series, and I was able to easily match songs or situations to characters. If you're reading the series, I really, really recommend this album to accompany it. Okie dokie, that's all for me. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next month. Bye! My read lately has been a series that's ongoing. It is The Lost Metal by Brandon Sanderson. It is era two of the Mistborn series. It originally came out in the trilogy with the Final Empire, and this is an exploration that Brandon Sanderson has been doing on technology, magic, mythology, religion through various eras. And so he started, the first era was kind of the establishment of mythology and religion in this part of his Cosmere. Era two started out more of a kind of westerns into 
first industrialization of this region, and they then begin to tie in Cosmere elements. So Brandon Sanderson has several different series, but they are all tied together in the Cosmere. This is one of the first times I think it is overtly addressing the ties between the different worlds. There have been hints and kind of slight references to the Cosmere. This one was just full out. So do you have to read every single book he's ever written to enjoy the series? No, absolutely not. Would I encourage you to read at least these series in order? Absolutely. You will want to start if you do the Mistborn Era 2, you'll want to do the Wax and Wayne series together in order. But you don't necessarily have to read the first era before you read the second era. And you don't have to read all the various other series he has going. They are extensive. The Stormlight Archive series is huge. He was inspired to write this one from working on the Wheel of Time series. And each of those books is roughly 900 to 1200 pages each. This is an investment of time. But if you want to read the Wax and Wayne series, this is Era 2 of Mistborn and start at the beginning of Wax and Wayne, but you don't have to read all the other ones. I found The Lost Metal to be, you really could feel it was wrapping up the era from the very beginning. The way the introduction is given to you, it was absolutely telegraphing what was going to happen at the end. So there weren't really any surprises per se. It was more, how did they get there? That was the adventure. How they're pulling all these things together and laying the groundwork for the next series. So I really enjoyed it. I do the audiobook of these, of course, uh, as I've said before. And I went through it very, very quickly. I think it was uh, three days in total of listening. And it was a really, really engaging read. Very much recommend pretty much any Brandon Sanderson book. But I found the Wax and Wayne era two of Mistborn very, very fun. A little different flavor from his other books. It's a little more sassy, a little more sarcastic and it just I really really enjoyed them so that was The Lost Metal the last of the Wax and Wayne series by Brandon Sanderson there are a lot of great programs coming up in April including our book club for ages 18 and over that's Lit Chat this month they are discussing The 40 Elephants by Aaron Bledsoe you can check out the previous Lit Chat podcast to hear what PJ and Bonnie thought of the book, as well as join them on April 13th at 1 p.m. to share your thoughts with others. Teen Book Club is also on April 13th. Now that's at 5 p.m. This is a no-pressure book club for teens, ages 13 to 18, and you can choose any book to read. The theme this month is science fiction and fantasy. Readers of manga, graphic novels, books, and audiobooks are all welcome. Even if you haven't read anything new lately, you can still join them at Team Book Club, August 13th at 5 p.m. We have something new for our tweens, ages 8 to 12. It's tween time. April 17th from 4 to 4.45. Hang out, have a snack, make a craft, learn something, make new friends, and have fun. 
Each time we meet, we will do something new. Registration is required, so visit hcpl.net slash events and search for Tween Time at the Atascacita Branch Library. Thank you for listening to the Atascacita Branch Library Advanced Copy Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this visit with the staff of your local library. Don't forget to visit us at the library to check out new reads and share in great programs. Stay tuned for our next episode in May as we prepare for Summer Reading 2023 all together now. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at fol.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.